At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella Lombicure, the world messenger, and I'm inviting you and greeting you for another episode of Legacy Leader Show. Today, I'm speaking with you about something that is painful, difficult to look into it, but it's absolutely necessary, specifically if we wanted to have longevity and if we wanted to have a harmony and as a humanity that we need to rise up and do whatever we can to make a difference. Why I'm saying that, obviously, not only as a European and because of current conflict in Ukraine, but also because what I'm seeing, how much pain and devastation this is creating and how often it's being repeated centuries after centuries, decades after decades and years after years has to be some better way. And we were sitting here with someone that I am beyond thrilled to have today on this Legacy Leader Show. I'm having with me Arthur, Arthur Killian, who is a CEO and founder of UkraineNow.org. He created something amazing in a very short period of time, and he will tell us why and how. But more than anything, he had amazing trajectory and paths, and he never imagined in his wildest dreams that he will find himself today. And this story, it's also definitely opportunity for all of us to think deep because this could happen to any of us. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Arthur. Arthur, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And it's a pleasure to be able to share the story and be able to reach more people that are willing to donate their energy, time, and compassion to people of Ukraine and everyone affected. Um, thank you. You're more than welcome. And, and also wanted to just to say, I'm just blown away with your strength, resilience, and attitude, even though I know your heart is bleeding and it's beyond devastating to see what's going on with your homeland, with your people, and everything that you work so hard to create a greater, better, not only opportunities for yourself, for everybody else. So do you mind sharing a little bit about where did you grow up and, um, and your little life path, how you got to USA right before all of this just really started? Yeah, sure. So I was born in 1991 when the Soviet Union was collapsing. And I was born in Vinitsa, which is a central Ukraine um, regional city, 300,000 population. It's a, it's a very quiet and safe city that, um, that grew uh, into being one of the, the most um, popular cities for its, its uh, beauty and the innovation and all kinds of things that were brought by, by some of the government that um, actually came out from the, the Vinitsa uh, region. So I was born in uh, 1991 and I was fortunate to observe the period of rebuilding the nation almost from scratch after the 
the longevity of the Russian Empire ruling over Ukraine and then the Soviet Union taking advantage of it. And since the Soviet Union had a, such a strong long-term influence on, 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 on your country and, uh, and your people, do you mind sharing what did Ukrainian democracy look like prior to this war? Because you were kind of between these two wars in the middle and, and, and um, do you mind giving us the picture from your perspective as a young protege who is super uh, capable, able to uh, not only enact his space in artificial intelligence, carves his own path, but obviously observe the, the democracy at that time. Yeah, so I'm a technology entrepreneur. I have a degree in systems of artificial intelligence, and I got interested in entrepreneurship after spending years in the industry. And that's how I got to United States. I used to run um, a startup incubator in Los Angeles, meaning I would build technology startups, companies for businesses and entrepreneurs, helping them build innovative ideas and improve their business models. That was what I was doing before 2020. In 2020, COVID happened and it gave me opportunity to jump into this nonprofit space, primarily because that was always my passion. And I was just delusional about the fact that someday I will make a lot of money in technology space and then I'll be able to do technology for social good. Um, obviously I was stuck in that loop, never happened the way I imagined it, but then COVID happened and that was an inflection point for me that allowed me to pause and reevaluate everything as it happened for many people. You know, all of a sudden the world stopped and you could do what you actually wanted to do. So I responded to the White House Technology Office call to action to help medical researchers analyze scientific literature about COVID and other viruses. And that's how I ended up creating a nonprofit, 51C3 in the state of California. And I called it Radical Philanthropies. The reason why I created it is because I saw how much there is um, there's a need for solutions and infrastructure to empower people like me that want to change the world for good and just don't have a helping arm to support them on that journey. So that's how I created the nonprofit. And I was about to launch what I would call Impact Studio, basically a startup incubator for nonprofit initiatives and social impact initiatives. And then the war started. And for me, you know, I had the perfect infrastructure to start helping. And that's what I've done on the first night of the invasion, started ukrainenow.org, and we started evacuating people to safe areas. And for people like me, I knew what was happening, but I couldn't believe it. Mostly because in my lifetime, there was no wars until 2014, when the, when the, Russia invaded Ukraine, took over Crimea, and took over parts of eastern Ukraine. But it was not a surprise from the perspective of the centuries of abuse, exploitation, and the rule over Ukraine by third, third parties like Russian Empire. For me, I grew up learning about all of these historical events in my childhood. I would read poems about struggle, about hunger, about slavery, about unfairness, about death, all of these things. 
and people would would complain about the fact that kids are reading such literature, such Ukrainian literature, and uh, they would say, well, we shouldn't teach our kids such brutal things. And I shared the same sentiment because why would a kid want to read such things? There's nothing fun or happiness in, in those words. But I'm very grateful because what it has done for me and my generation, it actually opened up perspective and gave us mental model about the things that happened in the past and could happen in the future. And that's why I think and I believe that my generation is able to swallow what's happening right now and has a mental model to apply to what's happening. You know, we were well aware of all the the exploitation, hunger, all the more genocide, basically, that Russian Empire and Soviet Union was doing to us as, uh, as Ukrainian population. We are well aware of Russification efforts that were happening for 100 years to kill Ukrainian culture, to literally kill people that were speaking Ukrainian, to enforce that the Ukrainian language was the language of stupid people, of village people, of people of less intelligence, the lesser nation. And that was very, very demeaning to, to grasp and understand and digest. Even when we would sing national anthem and it would be so gloomy. I highly recommend for everyone to translate the Ukrainian anthem because it's literally explaining the spirit and what's happening right now in Ukraine. And pro-Russian governments were always complaining, hey, our anthem is too gloomy, we should change it to something positive. And I'm so grateful it wasn't changed because it means a lot to people in Ukraine right now. So that's a little bit about the, the context, the historical context and um, the context that I have for my very limited time on this planet Earth, but enough to be able to understand what's happening. And that is so good that you could give us this little perspective uh, because so many people are very confused. It's a lot of different clashing misperceptions and misunderstanding and, and question is, why is this happening over and over again? And what is your perspective? Why is Russia so, uh, again, uh, over centuries and historically constantly questioned. Specifically, I'm seeing how beautifully Ukraine got rebuilt, how much actually plays such important role, not only for Ukrainian people, but in uh, position and globally. And it's just so fortunate that, uh, again, that such a beautiful culture and, and richness of tapestry of people and innovation and all of those things uh, Ukrainians do um, to feed most of the world with their uh, with their efforts uh, and exports and 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 on so many levels, not only in technology space but also in agriculture and and so much more. What why would you say is 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 this this uh, constant attack on Ukrainians? And I would say what I'm gonna share is neither politically correct or historically correct or factual. It's what I feel and what I'm able to assess from the, the information that I learned, my experience, 
But there, there is a compounding factor of Ukraine rebuilding itself to be a beautiful nation that you can't have when you have a dictator uh, nearby. Because what it shows people that are under dictatorship, that it's possible to have democracy, that it's possible to have richness in your life, that it's possible to have roads in your country instead of mud that is everywhere besides you know big cities in, in Russia. Most of Russian population is starving. Most of Russian population is uneducated and doesn't have means to survive. And the only thing that holds it all together is hate. It's the mm. hate and jealousy that is being enforced by the government and the propaganda that feeds on the, those worst human qualities. And that kind of explains it all. Why that is happening and how can it happen to what was called a brother nation, that theme that Russia was enforcing for 100 years, that we're brothers and sisters? Well, guess what? Maybe we're not. And maybe we should go back to the historical factual statements of the fact that Kiev and Rus existed way before Moscovia and mm. Russian empire. And some people branched off from Kiev and Rus and went ahead and built a city on a swamp. And that became Moscow. And then, you know, they built St. Petersburg also on a swamp on the bones of slaves, on people struggling to build these things. So there, there was a constant exploitation in the history of how Russian empire was built out, how Soviet Union appeared. And it has nothing to do with the Slavic tribes. It has nothing to do with the culture and richness of Europe. If anything, that behavior that we're experiencing resembles the, the golden horde, the, mm -hmm. those nomadic tribes that would come and kill everyone, crash and burn and steal and go their way. And mm. we're literally observing that happening. They come, yes. they rape our women, they steal, they steal underwear, they steal washing machines, they steal microwaves, take it with them and come back to, to their villages where they, they don't even have toilets. And that's the behavior that happened thousand years ago when, you know, the golden horde came and crashed and burned churches, raped women and killed everyone. So it has nothing to do with the Slavic tribes or European values. That's what I think is happening. Such a profound words of wisdom. And I have to say, uh, it is a threat when we, when we see what is possible and, and Ukraine's are showing what is possible and is a threat for someone who wants to keep their people in control and under their tongue restricted. And, and, and I think you're onto something very profound and very deep. And I, I thank you for sharing that perspective. And I cannot agree more with you because I'm seeing that also happening in other conflict zones. And I'm being working, as you know, with people from so many conflicts around the globe. And it's always interesting what it's caused and then what effect that produces and how we focus on effect instead of the root cause deep in 
uh, what motivates for the specific types of outcomes or, or desire of, of new, new current state. So with that in mind, I'm really interested in your perspective on this, Arthur, uh, because we're seeing also with the, this war multiple of magnitude of people clashing. And it's so interesting to see how many still Russians and millions of Russians are still supporting current regime and supporting this war. Uh, what is your perspective? Why do you think uh, of why they're doing that? Uh, is, is, that, is that what you just shared due to also a lack of resources, lack of information, lack of knowledge, lack of education, or is there something deeper in there of reason for? Because it's so hard to rationalize. It's so hard to truly understand unless you experience something like that firsthand. Yeah, and honestly, it's a culture of fear, culture of hate speech, and culture of lack of awareness. It's zombifying culture because obviously it's hard to accept that your own country is killing and raping women like how can you accept being a part of such culture that's just inhumane but what you can accept is the story that your government tells you that you're freeing up people from nazis or you're freeing up europe from these evil ukrainians that are doing unbearable things and eating babies and whatnot the craziness of the stories and the the crazier the story is the easier it is to believe and they keep feeding that to people and that's why you know 50 percent of russian population supports the war i have russian friends and you know when they tell me that half of their surrounding including family just wants ukrainians killed that's impossible to believe but mm. that's the reality that we're living in and unfortunately you know they they run polls they run statistics and it's indeed a lot of intelligent people support the death you know the wives that um, that call their husbands soldiers russian soldiers and encourage them to rape ukrainian women so no more ukrainians would be born that's the reality that we're living through, and it's unbearable. I, I can't agree more. And um, to be honest, you've touched something very important here as well. Obviously, from this Ukrainian perspective, things that we're seeing, and as you said, these horror and terrific stories and, and, and just unspeakable and, and truly hard to fathom. Uh, but we're also seeing this really different interpretations of Western cultures in Western countries about this war. And we also sense tons of media, how this war being handled. Uh, what is your sense of the media? How is their handling the war, first of all? And then what we can do to really um, change the narrative or really give the accuracy and clear understanding and interpretation on best uh, on, on this situation? Yeah, I don't think it's it's possible to communicate what's happening uh, in, in the most like effective way. Unfortunately, the media landscape has been broken even before the war. And we're well aware of the clickbaity articles and headlines that media has to create in, a, in an effort to generate more ad, ad views. And that's kind of like what we're observing. They're constantly looking for something fresh, for something new, for something terrible because that's, that's how the media operates. I do believe that there are genuine reporters and people that are covering the stories 
and personal stories of people. We've met so many journalists that are flying to Ukraine without fear because they feel an obligation to tell the stories of Bucha, of Irpin, of Mariupol, of people that fled these cities, of people that were unfortunately killed in those cities. And that's where I feel like the most power comes from individuals, because the entities, the big media machines are not able to catch up to the reality and the needs, unfortunately. Yeah. That is, that is such a beautifully put, given how also creates reverse and much more problems than solution, doesn't it? And I cannot agree more with you in terms of uh, narratives of, the, of these major outlets. Uh, everything's over-sensationalized and paralyzed. And as a result, uh, we then tend to just shut down or we just kind of get more overwhelmed or just too much and our threshold can reach the point where we cannot absorb anymore. And that's also the danger when people massively start shutting down instead of being proactive and, and start seeking um, outcomes and trying to do what is needed. Um, so in that in, in mind, what, what else do you see? Um, uh, how would you characterize this war, obviously? Because you mentioned earlier, very important word that I experienced firsthand and I know profound meaning of it. It's not just the war, it's not just the ethnic cleansing in general sense, but it is a truly genocide. All 10 stages of genocide are being exhibited in its worst possible form. So um, with that in mind, how do, how do, we, how do we seek outcome? How do we seek solution or resolution? Yeah. I think there's no silver bullet to this war. I think the war that we're fighting is actually the accumulation of all the evil that, that has been sitting and waiting for, for decades. And we've seen some evil show up here and there in other countries, but you know this gave its power to, to show up. And this is not Ukraine versus Russia war. This is a good versus evil war that Ukraine officially is fighting. But unofficially, so many volunteers from so many different countries are showing up. And, you know, people like ukrainenow.org volunteers that just show up and do what they can in effort to donate their time, money, energy, compassion, their sounding ear, their voice of reason to help battle this evil and i truly believe that good will prevail because mm. it always wins at the end of the day yes there are casualties yes there is destruction but we're going to rebuild and we're going to rebuild better and much better than it was before it's going to take time probably decades but we'll come back even stronger than we were i love your spirit i love your positivity and i love your sense of of what is going on, how you clearly can see and not let yourself to be convoluted and all of that. And I also love what you do with ukrainenow.org. Uh, so do you mind sharing some of the efforts, some amazing results? As you said, a soon war broke off because you knew technology, because you're so well-versed in uh, IT space and artificial intelligence and all those elements. 
you'll create a phenomenal platform for everybody that have a chance to listen and watch and to go to and take action. But you also created tremendous results. So please, could you share some amazing successes based on those efforts? Absolutely. What we've started doing first week of the war, we started evacuating people. And it's actually, believe it or not, it's very hard to track people that we evacuated, mostly because when you're operating under bombs, you don't count people, you just pack people into the bus and you go. But we've done our scheduled routes from Ivano-Frankivsk, uh, from Lviv, from Kiev to Lviv, and then to Krakow. And only by those which are very, very you know, tracked and very, very streamlined, we evacuated almost 4,000 people to Europe, which is a lot of lives that were saved. And we fed those people, we found them housing when they needed it. And using the, those same scheduled buses, we moved over $2 million worth of humanitarian aid, food, supplies, back to Ukrainian cities that are running uh, short on those, including Bucha and Irkin. We bought generators to those cities. We bought food and we got food from Polish cities, administrations, from nonprofit organizations, and we delivered it to Kiev in a matter of one day. All of these things are not to, to kind of show the numbers, but to show the volume of the help that is required because we're not the only organization. We're far from the, the biggest ones that are doing this. There are even more people bigger than us and our ultimate mission and what we are on right now is building the infrastructure to connect all of these parties and make sure that there is no inefficiency and misuse of any resource. To streamline that, to focus on what's most needed, where it's needed. That's why we're working with the Ministry of Social Policy of Ukraine, Ukrainian government, and we're helping them aggregate the needs by area, by specific type of need, whether it's medical supplies or food, and we're building the biggest supply chain link to the Western societies so they know what is needed, where is needed, and when the need is no longer there. Because there's so much mis, um, miscoordination or lack of coordination happening. And trust me, you know, that everyone wants to help. No one knows how. They're just trying to do their best. At the end of the day, it's about people not egos, not who yes. owns what, and that's what matters. And I just want to share, uh, screen share one thing, if you allow me to, to share my screen, of a, of a picture of a young girl that is sitting on that bus that uh, we run, the scheduled bus, and they've been on the bus for 20 hours um, and they needed food. And we just decided to buy them some food uh, from our donations and, um, you know, that, that was the most beautiful thing, just the ability to help people in need when they need it, just the simple act of that is what matters. Mm. So powerful. And I love how you're sharing again and telling us the story. And this is where community and, and humanity comes together. When all of us come together, right? To support one another. And 
it's all about uh, these little, not only acts of kindness, but but extensions of ourselves as a human beings, and and truly to um, be in touch what it means to be human and act as a human. Because with when it's terrors like this, we forget that. And sometimes, as I keep hearing, I was like, everybody else is doing the work. It's no much work needed. And look at you. You just establish your organization and how much footprint you're already making. And comparing with organizations that have been for decades around, and yes, they are making footprint too, but I was pointing at something really, really important. How is that integrated with everything else? How is that centralized? How is impactful? How timely relevant it is? How is it cost effective, right? All of those things that a lot of times in crisis we forget or we don't even take in consideration. Yeah, and it's, you know, sometimes it's unfortunate and very frustrating and, and makes me, um, you know, emotional to hear that big companies can't donate to us because they donate to Red Cross, UN, and other big entities, which makes sense. And those organizations have, have been around for so long and they know what they're doing, except they're so big and they're not fast at all. They're very slow. And when I go to PayPal, you know, donate to Ukraine, and I see these organizations in the top of the list, you know, I'm, I'm very sad because I know that these organizations have so much overhead and they're so slow. And they honestly, you know, I was there on the ground in Mexico trying to help Ukrainian refugees. And these organizations just told me, I'm sorry, we don't have enough resources to help Ukrainian refugees because we have other types of refugees from Central America that we're helping. And I know that people are donating through PayPal and other corporate donor uh, programs. And that money is never reaching the people that are in need. Well, some of it may be reaching, maybe it will reach in the months from now when the infrastructure is established. But the sad reality that most people are not aware that recency bias, it's, you know, basically we only know how to help through donating to Red Cross or, you know, other big organizations. And trust me, that money not only doesn't reach the, the people on the ground, it doesn't even reach governments that are begging us for money every single day. Mm. And that's the unfortunate reality of inefficiency in the space of humanitarian aid. And it's our mission to help connect governments, volunteers, nonprofit organizations, people on the ground with people that want to donate and help. I love your perspective on that. And I, based on my experience for over two decades of hard work and being involved in so many conflicts around the globe, I can't agree more. And a lot of times you're right, money doesn't hit and gets where it's intended to, disappears in different channels. And we don't have level of transparency, A, how much is being raised and how much is truly being given and how it's being given, so. Yeah, and I'm just gonna you know quickly showcase the, the video from our Krakow warehouse where people just keep bringing food, where um, local city administration of Krakow keeps bringing food and we keep ship, shipping it to, to Ukraine. Um, the ambulance that we bought uh, with our United Kingdom partners, the four by four ambulance that we were able to buy just in a matter of days, 
uh, fix it and sent it to Ukraine and it's currently operational in there. You know, all of these things, they happen in days. There's no weeks or, you know, months that happens. This is the example of our Krakow warehouse. And we do say you can drop your humanitarian aid and we'll de deliver it to Kiev in one day. And there's no big organization that can do things like that. And I only hope that more people start realizing that that's the power of individuals and volunteers on the ground. That is phenomenal. And, and again, very, very powerful. And I'm glad you're voicing this out as we're also looking um, because uh, so many or, so many organizations are raising the money with a name that they want to help, but then yet they have their own you know, agendas and whatnot. And, and for what is possible, where is the will, there is the way, where is the, again, um, savvy, uh, capable people, as you mentioned, volunteers that are coming up from different parts of the world and Europe specifically uh, to help, to mobilize, to do whatever they can. I want you, everybody that is watching and listening to really go to the Ukraine now.org and see again what it's being done to see the level of transparency also to be able to join the slack communication and be able to really engage and put people on the grounds and people that are making this happen doesn't matter the length how certain organization exists but matters how effective and efficient is and just seeing the level of efficiency and being a nonprofit world for so long i have to say i kudos you arthur for everything you do you're proving over and over where is the will there is the way and also um, your leadership the leadership that you have it's corralling people behind you which also proves you don't have to be very well known in global sphere and circles for people to trust you. You, you have to just show up and show them who you are and you are showing up in such a beautiful light. Thank you. And it means a lot because, you know, people ask me, how are you doing this? How is it that you were so prepared? And I'm very candid. I was never prepared. I only had people that supported me and people that supported the vision of us helping. And that's my preparedness. My infrastructure is people. Even though I'm a tech person and I build technology, what, what really matters is the human desire to help and that humane ability to, to compassion, to be able to, to help and to find that common speech the common language for us as human beings on one planet. There's no countries when it comes to social good or fighting evil. It, we're all uniting for, for this beautiful vision of, of a beautiful life on this amazing planet. Mm. So very true, so very true. And I love that vision and I love how you again are mobilizing, making it happen. So again, everybody watching and listening, take action, come and support um, ukrainenow.org. I am again, huge proponent and from all of the links and everything and organizations uh, and also talking to others that are really put in, we're uh, walking their talk. Uh, if you wanted to really make sure that your efforts matter, from monetary to your time, to referrals, to support, to whatever uh, connections, relationships, 
in times like this, we need more than ever that sense of community. And Arthur created phenomenal community. He right now has over 5,000, I believe, people just in his community that is helping now, that it's being corralled for just a little bit over a month uh, of very vetoed individuals and, 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 and individuals that are really included in the system because they are sharing the value of the vision and they have a certain skill sets. And in order for all of this to work at ad hoc in times of crisis, I think this is phenomenal role model for others to really replicate. So um, what would you say it's, it's truly success? I know you're very humble and, and I know you started this from uh, pure desire and passion to do something. Because I also know how it is to be removed from conflict, not be able to go and help. And then in the same time, um, feeling a little bit guilty, you know, what do I, what could I do now while I'm here and what I can do the best of where I'm at. And um, what would you say is that secret sauce so that others can truly try to replicate? Uh, you're right. I felt guilty. And more than that, I was in Ukraine a week before invasion. Why? Because I was planning to move out from US to Ukraine for five, six months to spend time with my family, to rebuild myself emotionally and financially. And I was planning to go to the Carpathian Mountains to just relax for, for a bit. And I brought my cat to Ukraine. Me and my wife, we had to bring our cat because of the vaccinations and everything. The logistics of that is another topic, but we brought our cat, we left it with our parents and we were supposed to come back in the months uh, in March. And, you know, I, I felt both fortunate not to be in Ukraine and also guilty and unfortunate. So my thoughts were, how can I help? I can't just sit and stare and refresh the news. I have to do something and I have to do it right. Mm. I won't fly to Poland to volunteer on the ground because I'm a skinny dude, you know, and I, I won't help as much with supplies or bringing supplies. I don't speak Polish. That's not where I'm best fit. Where I'm best fit is creating process, infrastructure, and engaging people. And that's the, the recommendation that I have to every single person. Find what you're best at and try mm. to help with that. Even when it comes to being a lawyer or accountant or something that doesn't sound like it's helpful in the times of war, Trust me, there are so many nonprofits that need your help with mundane business operations. And that's where you should focus your effort on. I don't say, you know, never go to Ukraine because some people have to go and they do go, but there's so much work behind the scenes in operations that you can help. That is so powerful too. And then obviously you are definitely tapping into that so perfectly and assessing situation correctly and apply yourself where you can make the most impact at those tough choices and decisions like you have to make. And obviously look at guys' results, it's possible. And I am also really impressed how much you're helping and navigating and connecting the dots with people on the ground and continue still to have a communication and a sheer understanding of what is needed and how people can really solve very complex, challenging problems. So with that in mind, um, 
Do you mind sharing a little bit about what is happening in, in the next few months and, and with the infrastructure that you built and what you're the most proud of um, so that others can also tap into that wisdom as well as opportunity to participate and support? Yeah, I would say everyone who wants to help, go ahead and join us as volunteers on, um, click join as volunteer on ukrainenow.org. You can also donate if you want. Um, and also feel free to, to just stay in touch because the reality is we don't need everyone this second, but trust me, we will need you when the time comes. That's why it's important to fill out your skills on the sign up form and your LinkedIn so we can reach out to you when we will need you for a specific task or position or just a random help that we may need someday. Mm, beautiful. And in closing, Arthur, what it would be message for you, for your fellow Ukrainians, as well as a fellow humans around the world and times like this, what will be the message to, uh, for them to not only better understand, but also to better grasp what, what role they can play? Yeah, and I want to appreciate, and I appreciate everyone's help without you guys you being you know ukrainians or not ukrainians doing what you can without everyone's help ukraine wouldn't survive this war and we're forever grateful me my family my friends my relatives everyone our whole nation is forever in debt and trust me we'll repay that debt was inviting you guys to Ukraine to celebrate the, 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 the victory and the rich culture that we have and we will share with you. Mm, that's so beautiful. And until then, let's do everything we can and not to be passive, not let others to say, oh, others are doing the work, but just step in. Everybody can do something. All of our efforts can make a tremendous difference and that's why it's all about so again, um, you guys had a chance to hear from Arthur, the founder and CEO of ukrainenow.org. Please go to the website as soon as possible. Donate whatever you can, time, resources, relationships, connections, whatever you can to open the door so that we can really find resolution and hopefully pretty soon a solution to all of these conflicts that are happening right now. Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.